Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Hey guys, it's Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker. What would you do if someone killed your best friend and it's been 33 years and it seems like nobody is doing jack? You would start a podcast and go find the answers yourself. And that's exactly what we're doing here at Crime Scene and Cupcakes. So join us as we look for the answers and also find the answers and some other unsolved cases as well here in Kansas. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as many other platforms. You can also find us on all the social media apps, such as Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, we're there. So come find us. Hey everybody, you just heard a trailer for the podcast Crime Scenes and Cupcakes. It's hosted by Marianne. She's retired from the field of forensics. She started her True Crime podcast to bring awareness to her friend's unsolved murder from over three decades ago. She's super smart and knows her stuff really well. She does a great job telling the details of the cases that she covers. Plus, she has a full house of dogs and does some special episodes dedicated to telling stories about dogs in crime settings, like dogs that help with finding human remains. She also has done some episodes on dogs in modern culture, like in movies that are dedicated to dogs. And on a boozy note, she owns a cocktail cupcake business. But sad to say for me that she's in Kansas, so I don't get to try her cupcakes, which really bums me out. Give Crime Scenes and Cupcakes a listen. You'll enjoy it. Well, Declan, what story do you have for us today? So today I'm going to be talking about Stanley Meyer. Stanley what are you going to be talking I about? I don't think I know that name. I am going to be telling you about a story out of France. And he was a serial killer that was recently identified. My mm-hmm. apologies in advance because I don't speak French. I tried looking up a lot of the names, but I couldn't get... The pronunciation on some of these so i'm gonna try my hardest to make it sound <laughs> acceptable but everyone listening please forgive me if i uh, butcher these names i do apologize my drink that i brought today i actually went about this a little differently i picked the drink because i liked how it sounded and then i went looking for a story to match it We'll see if that was a good choice or not. I don't know. (laughs) But the drink I brought is the French martini. It consists of two ounces of vodka, one half ounce of Chambord or raspberry liqueur, and one and a half ounces of pineapple juice. The steps are you combine all the ingredients in a shaker with ice and shake until cold. 
Then you strain all of that goodness into a chilled glass. So, are you ready to sample this drink, Declan? I am. Me too. I'm super excited about this. I hope I like it. <laughs> I don't know if Lulu liked it. She wants to speak her opinion too. Well, of course she does. I thought the drink was Ooh. good. Yeah, it is good. It's really tasty. I think that might be one of my favorites so far. Yeah, especially from our podcast drinks. Typically, we don't choose good ones. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's why I kind of went about this selection a little backwards from what we've what I've previously done in choosing the story and then trying to find a drink to match. I thought, this isn't going well. I'm ending up with weird stuff that I would never drink. And this one is totally right up my alley with the pineapple juice and the raspberry. And it's pretty tasty. I I think I like it a lot. Yeah, I really suspect this glass is going to be empty by the time we're all done with these stories. So if I start <laughs> slurring at the end, everybody forgive me. Okay. So um, a little history on this drink. Yes, it is called the French martini, but it's not really considered a true martini, but more of a cocktail. I think that's because of the fruit juice and the the kind of uh, liquors that are in it. I don't know. I'm not a bartender, so I don't know what the rules are on what is truly a martini and what is not, but that's the name of it, so we're going with it. It was created in the late 1980s at uh, one of Keith McNally's bars in New York City. The sham board in it is what makes it a quote-unquote French drink because Chambord is modeled after a raspberry liqueur that was produced in the Loire Valley in the 17th century. Chambord is made from both red and black raspberries, Madagascar vanilla, Moroccan citrus peel, honey, and cognac. Mm -hmm. Which I didn't know any of those things, so now I feel a little <laughs> smarter. All right, let me tell you about this story. Paris, France is known for many things, from incredible artwork to amazing architecture, and it is often referred to as the city of love. But from 1986 to 1984, there was a monster roaming the streets right under the noses of those tasked with protesting. But from 1986 to 1994, there was a monster roaming the streets right under the noses of those tasked with protecting the city. Witnesses described the monster to the police as a man with severe acne scars on his face, and he earned the nickname Le Grele, or the pockmarked man. The identification of the pockmarked man came to a conclusion in 2021 and resulted from a murder investigation that began 35 years before. So... A long time. And DNA is basically the reason why this case had a conclusion. So, going back in time, 
on May 5th, 1986, Cecile Block was 11 years old. She was leaving her apartment building to walk herself to school, but never arrived. Her family did not know that, though. Shortly after noon that day, Cecile's mother, Suzanne, called home to see that Cecile had made it home for lunch. When there was no answer at the house, Suzanne, the mom, called the school and learned that Cecile never arrived at the school that morning. That's got to be terrifying. Kind of sounds like the calls you'd get when I was in high school. True. (laughs) True. The sun has never come to a single class today. (laughs) And then I would text you and go, where have you been? And then you would always tell me, I went to school. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, sure. I went there. I just didn't go inside. (laughs) (laughs) You sat in the parking lot. Yeah, drove by. Right. Yeah. Yeah, plausible deniability, right? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Cecile's parents notified the police and the apartment building was searched. Cecile's body was found later that day in the basement. She was naked under, she was partially naked under an old piece of carpet. She had been brutally assaulted, causing her spine to be fractured, as well as being sexually assaulted, stabbed, and strangled. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Police were able to collect semen sample as part of the evidence, but at that time, DNA was widely, not widely used. This was 1986, and DNA wasn't real. I mean, it was a thing, but it was basically in its infancy. So during the investigation, the police interviewed several people in the building, including Cecile's family. Witnesses reported seeing an unknown man in the building that day and described him as having old acne scars on his face. This led to the nickname of Le Grele, or the pockmarked man. A police sketch was circulated but there were no leads, and the case went cold. From 1986 to 1994, there were several unsolved rape cases that also occurred. The victims reported encountering a man who represented himself as police. He often confronted the victim, demanded that they come with him for an investigation. He carried official police cards and used official handcuffs and police radios and spoke police jargon. So he would approach someone... And say, I need you to come with me because of this investigation, and I'm a police officer, and they would go with him, and then he would do bad things to them. He Mm, would take them to another area. Yeah, super nice guy. He would either take them, like, to another section of the building, or sometimes he would put them in a car and drive them miles away. And then, of course, it wasn't just that. He would rape them and do horrific things to them. Fuck. Right. Because of all of the things that the witnesses, the the surviving victims would say, it led investigators to believe that the rapist was also a police officer. Although evidence was collected from these victims, a suspect was never identified at the time. Years later, DNA linked the rape cases the police suspected had been committed by one of their own with not only Cecile's case, but another murder case. This murder was the double murder of 38-year-old Gilles Politi and 20-year-old Ermgard Mueller that occurred in 1987, 11 months 
after Cecile's murder. Ermgard worked for Gilles Politi and his family as an au pair. Gilles was found face down in his apartment, naked and tied up with what was called a choke lace. Mm. I tried to look up what a choke lace was. I couldn't really find anything, but the description was that his hands and his feet were bound together in a quote-unquote choke lace. So I'm guessing that was like what a lot of people call hog tying, but I don't know for sure. There weren't any pictures or anything. Not that I, I would not have wanted to see that. But anyway, it was described as a choke lace. Maybe it's like one of those choker, like the lace chokers. Well, it said that his hands and right. It said that his hands and feet were bound in a choke lace. So I'm thinking that it was wrapped around. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard about where they tie your legs and your hands together around your neck, and then when you relax, it chokes you more and. So you try and keep your legs tight and your arms tight to relieve the pressure on your neck, but then you're in a really contracted, awkward position, and so eventually you just end up choking yourself. It's terrible. It's that horrible. Horrible. Right. Again, I don't know for sure that's what happened. That was just my assumption. Either way, it wasn't a good for for this man because he was dead. Um, the au pair Ermgard was found tied to a bed with her throat slashed. In 2014, police started looking into Legrelle cases again. So all, quite a few years later. Because again, this was 1986 and 87, and now it's 2014. It took some time, many more years. But in 2021 a judge ordered the collection of 750 DNA samples from police officers that had been working during the time Legrelle cases occurred. One of the former officers was a man named Francois Verove. He was 59 years old in 2021, and during the time of the beginning of Legrelle's crime spree, he would have been 24 years old. So again, they, they thought he was a police officer that had committed the rape cases because the victim said he acted like a policeman. And so they said, all right, it's a cop. Let's go get DNA samples from people that were working at that time. And somehow they narrowed it down to 750 people. In the 80s and 90s, Verove worked as a police officer in different factions of law enforcement in the Paris area. So there weren't, there was like national police and city police and things like that. And he worked in different regions or different factions of the police, but he was a police officer during that time. In September, on September 24th, 2021, Verove received the summons to submit his DNA Shortly thereafter, he left his home. Three days later, his wife reported him missing. Two days after that, on September 29th, Verove was found dead in a rented apartment. 
He died due to an overdose of drugs and alcohol. He left a suicide note admitting to his crimes. So thanks for filling in some blanks for us there. The cases that were conclusively linked to Verov include the rape of an eight-year-old girl in 1986. So this was before Cecile's murder. Cecile Block's murder in 1986. The double murder of Gilles Politi and Ermgard Mueller in 1987. Additionally, he was linked to the rape of a 14-year-old girl in 1987 and the rape of an 11-year-old girl in 1994. However, criminologists and investigative journalists who have been looking into this case believe that Verov could be responsible for dozens of other victims, including up to nine unsolved murders. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of victims. And they linked him through the year 1994 through his DNA. But... Verov stated in his suicide note that his crime spree went until 1997, three years after the last confirmed case. Hmm. And that is my story of the French killer known as La Grele. Super interesting. I hadn't heard of him before. Me either. So... Yeah, very creepy and very sad. Kind of makes you think about like other countries' serial killers because we mostly just hear about the ones from America, but there has to be some fucked up ones uh, like overseas. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've heard of a lot of them in other countries where – the media is less prominent or they're regulated a lot more by the government. And the government, a lot of times, at least in the past, wasn't wanting people to think that their country had serial killers. They were trying to pass it off as like, oh, it's just a Western thing. It just happens in America. And so they would like downgrade everything and try and push it all under the rug. And a lot of victims were you know, associated with these potential serial killers. But I don't know. I'm going to look into a lot more, I think, of other countries. But with that comes the very distinct chance that I'm going to butcher and just ruin some names. So. Oh, yeah. That's to be expected at this point. I've definitely done it a lot more than you at this point, I think. (laughs) I don't know. I keep choosing these out-of-state stories, and I just can't get the names right. Well, I try and find it. I I try and look it up on either YouTube or pronouncenames.com or whatever it's called. And sometimes, like with Legrele, I could not find anything that conclusively told me. I listened to numerous podcasts that, like, each one said the name differently. And so I don't even know if I said it correctly in this, but having taken French many, many moons ago, I uh, tried to just go with what sounded like it might be correct. So I don't know. Sounded authentic to me.
So what is the crazy story you're going to tell me today, Declan? So today I'm going to be talking about Stanley Meyer and the water-powered car. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of this. Yeah, this is, I feel like this is one of those cases that more people need to know about, but uh, let's get right into it. Okay. Stanley Meyer was an American entrepreneur and inventor. He was born on August 24th, 1940 in a small town in Ohio. Ever since he was a child, he's been creating and inventing things. Stanley and his brother Stephen would spend their childhood building things together. And in his adult years, he would continue to invent. Stanley held patents ranging from oceanography to banking systems and everything in between. He had so many patents that the patent office knew him and would accept a majority of his patents. So That's usually cool. it takes usually it takes like a, a year for a patent to be applied, but most of Stanley's patents were applied within eight months. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, Stanley had applied over 200,000 patents in his lifetime. Oh my gosh, that is a wild. a shitload of patents, yeah. That. I'm, I'm guessing <gasps> most average people don't even have one. No, I... I always think like, ooh, this is a cool idea. And then I find out somebody else had already invented it. And I'm like, well, shit. I, I, I'm I feel not like that. a lot of shit is already invented now. And you got to be a super genius to invent something new. Right. I'm definitely not a super genius. While he was applying for these patents, he was working on a company focused on technological research. He also worked with NASA on the Gemini space program. He uh, developed some. Uh, machinery for them to use that's super cool yeah this guy's a real genius out here no kidding most of stanley's inventions were funded by himself uh and he even won inventor of the year in 1993 that's neat so during the arabian oil embargo stanley had an idea that could revolutionize the world Stanley immediately started working on his most important idea yet. As most of us know, non-EV cars run on gasoline, which is made from oil. It's made from crude oil, to be specific. And so the Arabian Arabian oil embargo really affected uh, the gasoline market. Interesting. Due to the oil embargo, the automobile industry was under a lot of stress. And uh, Stanley recognized this and started inventing the world's first water-powered car. That is badass. Yeah, super, super smart guy using it for the good. Nice. So this worked by separating the hydrogen and oxygen molecules in water and using the hydrogen molecules to power the engine of the car. Oh, interesting. And uh, you can see this a lot more n- now, but uh, back then, it, th- this was a completely new concept. Because I think Honda, Toyota, and even some uh, other brands are making hydrogen cars now. But this, this really? was completely unheard of at the time. Oh, that's super interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it. 
I don't think they're working too great right now. I think it's similar to the electric vehicle thing where they have a very limited number of hydrogen pumps and I, I don't think of you course. could even get one in Oregon. Oh. Awkward. Yeah, so we've got some time before modern power cars are, you know, all over the place, but uh, this this would completely change the automobile industry and even the economy because the U.S. relied on oil so much. So it it's a huge part of the economy. Right, which uh, is why gas is so ridiculously high. Yeah, and so uh, Stanley, he fixed the water fuel cell, which is what he called his, uh, his engine that he made, um, to a small buggy, and it worked like a dream. Oh, that's super cool. The buggy was able to cross the country using only 75 liters of water, which is, oh. I don't know how many liters that is, but that does not seem like a lot of liters. It seems like it's way more efficient than gasoline. So did he have to stop places and get the water or did he carry that 75 liters with him? I think he like in probably the stopped and got some water because it... If you look at a picture of the buggy, it's like it, it is the quintessential buggy. Like when you think of buggy, this is what he was driving. It was just like a super small car. Hmm. Uh, but and what a, year a few did you months, say this was? So the he made the car in the 90s. Okay. So a few months after Stanley's ama- amazing invention, he was met with some legal action. Oh, so, that doesn't sound good. No, I said how most of his inventions were funded by himself. Yeah. Well, he decided to outsource um, for this invention. And some of his investors had claimed that his fuel cell wasn't anything new, but it used conventional electrolysis. Uh, Hmm. But this would be the least of Stanley's problems. So on March 21st, 1998, Stanley Meyer was having lunch with his brother and two investors. He took a drink from his cranberry juice before grabbing his throat and running outside the restaurant. He started throwing up and looked up at his brother before muttering, They poisoned me. Shit. These would be Stanley's final words. (gasps) Oh, crap. After Stanley's death, a three-month-long investigation was launched to determine what killed Stanley which was determined to have been caused by a brain aneurysm and no poison known at the time was present in his bloodstream. Mm. However, people who personally knew Stanley says that he was murdered. Okay. I know what an aneurysm is. Our aunt had an aneurysm in her brain. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what the symptoms would necessarily be. But I don't, I can't imagine that it would cause you to feel like you tasted something. And I, I would just, yes, I think symptoms of an aneurysm could be vomiting. But I don't know that you would feel like you have to grab your throat as a result and of it. I, I think you wouldn't be able to talk right after it happened because it's like affecting your brain so much. If, like, because when someone yeah. gets a stroke, like the, one of their first things to go is their ability to talk. It depends on so, where the stroke is in the brain. 
True. But that's essentially what happens in an aneurysm is that a, a blood vessel is either ballooned or it bursts and then it causes – I mean, I'm not a brain doctor, so I don't know. Yeah, but, mind, but the basics of it, my understanding is that it's a ballooned blood vessel that can rupture and lead to a stroke and bleeding in the brain, et cetera. But – I don't think it would cause you to grab your throat. I think drinking something that was caustic or tasted bad or something along those lines, sure, would make you grab your throat. And I don't know. That sounds really fishy. Yeah. uh, In my opinion, I think that it was some form of governmental body that did it. That's just my two cents. Mm, I mean, it could be. It whether it's our government or another government who's like, "Hey, we need you Americans to be buying our oil." So stop trying to bypass that option. I don't know. That's that's icky. Yeah, yeah. Poor little Stanley was just trying to help the world and ended up yeah uh, losing his life over it. Oh, that's so sad. I know. And now, I, what makes me think it's the governmental body is Toyota and Honda and all them are, almost every Japanese car brand has a hydrogen car now. And they're some of the first to do it. Really? So, yeah, I don't know. It just, something seems fishy about it. Right. Yeah. That is bizarre. That is definitely a bizarre story. Thank you for telling. So what chaser do you have for us to lighten, to cleanse our palate today, Declan? So I recently found a musician that's super interesting. Uh, he goes by Steel Beans, and I don't think he has any uh, any songs on like Spotify or anything yet, but he does post some to YouTube. And what really interested me about this guy is he plays the drums, plays guitar, and sings all at the exact same time. So he's a one-man band. And he's able to create songs that sound really, really good. And I'll, I'll play a little clip it right here. This is all performed by one guy. That's amazing to me. Yeah, and he's a uh, he's Portland. Uh, he's a Portland native, so he he does a lot of tours around Oregon and stuff. I'm, oh, I that's really super cool. Ooh, yeah. you should. I bet you he's going to be closer to you than he would be closer to me. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to Steel Beans. I was really impressed with the, the work he's doing. Feel free to that, go check It's amazing that he can do that at, all at the same time. I, yeah, I know. I've seen like people do drumming and singing, and that looks really fucking hard, but being able to... Yeah play the electric guitar while drumming and singing 
And like the way he does it is he, while he's going down to hit the drumstick on the drum, he's uh, picking the guitar chord. Like while he's doing it, it's all one motion. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Super impressed. Wow. That's talent for sure. So what chaser do you have for us today, mom? I have another two-part chaser. Uh, One is a podcast recommendation, and that is the Everything Scary podcast. This one's pretty cool. It is hosted by two sisters, Lynn and Haley. Lynn is a true crime fan while Haley is not. And Lynn tells her, tells Haley the stories of true crime and it's funny at the beginning she says her goal is that Haley doesn't leave the room in the middle of telling her her story and it's it's pretty cool the uh the hosts they have great interactions they're super on topic so there's not a lot of crosstalk banner that sometimes can get out of control on podcasts they're they're really good and they've got some super cool stories that I hadn't heard before um, the other neat thing is that they had a creepy skull nightlight, kind of similar to that uh, acrylic light I think that I made for you last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a skull, and it's uh, they're sending it to me. So I'm super excited when that comes in. I, I'll show it to you when, when it comes in. It's really neat. Sweet. Yeah. And the second part of my chaser is a tv show recommendation i don't know if you've seen this we haven't talked about this show so i'm guessing you haven't seen it yet because we usually tell each other uh, and i didn't ask you about it because i wanted to use it as a chaser Hmm. Uh, it's the show sprung on amazon have you seen that i don't think so but it sounds familiar okay So finally, I get to tell you about a show before you've seen it. You are going to love this show. I know you're going to love this show. So the main character, I believe his name is Jack. The actor is the dad from Raising Hope. Remember that show? Oh, yeah. I love the actor. Yeah. And one of the other main actors is Wait, the, the mom from Raising Hope. The older dad or the younger dad? The dad. So the grandpa of Hope. Okay, okay. On that yeah, show. I love that actor. Yeah. The guy that had the lawn mowing business. Yeah. Yeah. So it's those two actors, the the dad and the mom from Raising Hope. They're in this show together. But the premise of the show is that Jack and his friend named Rooster were cellmates in prison, and mm-hmm. they were released due to COVID in 2020. Oh, so when like the prisons were, yep, when the prisons were thinning out inmates and they were releasing nonviolent offenders, these two got out. And they are thrown into the world of COVID, not knowing what COVID is. And it is truly hilarious. The the stuff that goes on, Rooster, his mom is the mom from Raising Hope. That's the actor. That's the tie-in okay. with those two. 
But uh, Rooster's mom is like, I don't want to give spoilers, but they like kind of scam people. And she's into like stealing and scamming and stuff like that. And Jack, the main character, was in prison for drug offenses for like 20 years. And they show him like aging through the system and learning skills from other prisoners. So he learns how to like fight and he learns how to negotiate with people all based on things that he learned from other prisoners while he was in there for 20 years. It's a really funny show. They show some really cool stuff and it's just hilarious to see like the reactions of people that ties back to when COVID first started. So it's super funny. Found it on Amazon. It's really cool show. I think you're going to love it. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to go watch that after this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for telling me that super weird and creepy story about that guy getting potentially murdered, probably murdered. I mean, you don't just normally drink poison on your own unless you're Romeo and Juliet. But yeah, <laughs> thank there you for that. telling me about those, uh, that creepy murderer. I know, right? Yeah. It was, it was nice chatting with you. Had a fun time hanging out as always. And I love you. I love you too. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.